0: with every beat of my heart. God, I will sing to the world,
1: faithful
0: you
2: share with you guys right now about Sunday school. So prepare yourself for adorable children. Here it comes. Well, we really like having the children come in as two-year-olds to introduce them to the basics of our beliefs and also to make them so that they will welcome coming to church and that they feel like it's a happy and safe place to be.
0: A chance to come in contact with families that we wouldn't necessarily cross paths with. One of the big blessings is just to have contact with parents and siblings, although many of those older kids have been in our class over the years.
2: We even have had some of the moms and dads in our class years Mm -hmm. ago because we've been doing this close to 30 years. Another
0: real blessing is the opportunity to have Academy students come and work with us in the class. They're enthusiastic and very helpful. And I think they also learn that there's a place for them in the church where they can serve
1: others through serving these kids and the families that they represent. One of the greatest blessings I have, first, I think I love to see the changes in children as they grow up. I have them in kindergarten. And I really, really enjoy seeing them returning and giving me hugs and wanting to be part of the class and sneaking in the class, though they're first and second graders. Um, And also, it has given me a chance to use materials that my daughter used to use in her classes. And after she passed away, it was nice to be able to use her materials and her furniture in a Sunday school room. It makes me feel close to her. They learned what a prayer request is, and they are anxious to pray. And that, to me, is great, to be able to show them how to have a friendship with God. Our biggest
0: blessing, um, teaching Sunday school, is going over the Bible stories um, in a way that you have to get deep enough or uh, grasp it to the point where you can come up with a life application for the kids. Um, and the same stories over and over again become, they are not the same. There, there, there's, there's a truth that's alive and it's vibrant, and you get to experience that more because you're digging into it on a regular basis. Um, and I guess uh, the second part of that lesson is watching the kids who you know, have gone to study school, maybe for years, um, and know the stories, and you still get that aha moment in their faces when you get to grab the truth. Um, and that's just, that's just a neat thing, and I, I really enjoyed that. It's just
2: fun watching the kids. We are so happy to report that our Sunday school um, program is fully staffed right now. We're very excited for that. Um, But if you love working with children and you still are looking for an opportunity to do that, we can always find a place to fit you in. So just let us know. And now please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
0: In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, You won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, You won't let go. In the questions, the truth will. Peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea.
1: The Heavenly Father, it's difficult to truly proclaim your praises. We try to put into words as best we can. We, we try to put into music. We, we create art. We try to do so much to, to tell you the praise of our hearts. And we know that we fall short, but we know that you love it when we offer to you our praise. As we acknowledge who you are and all that you've done for us, and we come now to this moment of prayer, offering you our praise, offering you everything that we can to to proclaim your greatness. And we also come in response to your word to offer to you the burdens of our hearts in this world there are a number of things that we come with today we we are here having experienced a variety of circumstances highs and lows successes and failures some of us come today burdened and weighed down some of us come today feeling excited whatever state we are here today we pray that you will speak into our hearts and our souls Speak peace and healing and grace and mercy and truth. There are a number of people, names of people that in our bulletin and we we pray for many of them over and over again. Some have we've been praying for years. But we keep praying because you tell us to pray and not give up. We keep praying as a means of expressing our faith in you to meet these needs. We pray to encourage these folks in their journey. We pray to remind us that you alone are the answer to our prayers. Father, we pray not only for... Uh, For us here, we pray for the world. We continue to pray for refugees who continue to live in fear and continue to live with uh, opposition and difficulties in their lives. And we pray that you would bring relief to them. We pray for our nation, for peace in our nation, for truth in our nation, for healing in our nation. We pray, Father, for those who have been most affected in our nation and in other places, particularly the Caribbean and Mexico, from the recent natural disasters. And we ask, Father, that your grace will be poured out upon them in this very difficult time. May they see hope when they may feel only despair. May your people be present. And we pray for organizations like World Hope and others who are already at work trying to help, and we pray that you'd prompt us about how we might be active in meeting these needs. We thank you, Father, for the work of your kingdom around the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters again today who face continual persecution. And we think today of the Christians in Bangladesh as, as, as they and the nation respond to the hundreds of thousands of Muslim refugees fleeing across the border from Myanmar. We pray that these Christians in Bangladesh, who have many of whom have been persecuted, would be the primary agents of love and acceptance to their Muslim brothers and sisters we are coming from this other nation and need to be loved and need to see the love of Jesus. Give them the grace. And Father, even if we pray for them in their situation, we pray for us in our situations, that you would fill us with love for this world. The world of people right next to us. The world of people thousands of miles away from us. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church. We heard about Sunday school this morning. We pray even now as most of our children's classes are meeting. That you would pour out your spirit upon them. We pray, Father, that, that you would bless them as they learn. And nurture, nurture in the faith and grow. We pray this for our children's church and junior church ministries. That these, these times together would just week by week. Nurture the faith of our children whom you have given to us. And we take that responsibility seriously. And out of what they learn, may they always have a desire to know you, follow you. We pray for the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg. Thank you for the ministry they have in the the town of Hamburg and beyond. And we pray your blessing upon the congregation, Pastor Nash. May they know your grace in all that they do. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the strong, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: Amen.
2: The scripture reading today is from the Old Testament in the book of Joel. It will be Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And verses 13 through 15 chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 11 through 14 and 25 through 32 and chapter 3 17 through 21 the word of the lord that came to joel son of pethuel hear this you elders listen all who live in the land Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, all of you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God. And cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it's close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. "'grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. "'I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, "'the great locusts and the young locusts "'and the other locusts and the locust swarm, "'my great army that I sent among you. "'You will have plenty to eat until you are full "'and you will praise the name of the Lord your God "'who has worked wonders for you. "'Never again will my people be shamed. "'Then you will know that I am in Israel.' that I am the Lord your God, that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, The mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So let me uh, invite you to just take a few moments and let's stand and greet others who are in worship today. So the more I get into the Minor Prophets, the more I'm asking myself, why did I get into the Minor Prophets? You know, there's so much here that you think, okay, what does that mean? Where is that going? What is that image of God? What is that image of God's people? What's happening here? Of course, in this passage in Joel, it starts out with all this talk about locusts. You know, it's not enough for God to send one thing swarm of locusts or two, but three you know, it's, it, it, what the first ones didn't get, the second ones do. What the second ones don't get, the third ones do. You know, I was pondering that last Sunday after 11 o'clock service, I was standing in the back floor I was looking out the window and there was a swarm of something uh, outside the windows out there. And I thought, what is that? And I walked out and people were saying to me, we can't go outside because there's a huge swarms of, of bees. Outside, they were up in the bell tower. But there was this huge swarm of them on a tree over here, and they were all in the air, and they were just moving in mass. And you know, it was freaking out everybody trying to come out. And I thought, well, that's weird. We should do that. That should have been next week when we talked about Joel. That would have been fun. The weirdest thing was Monday after I came out of a meeting Monday evening, my car was covered with gnats. I mean, just gnats everywhere. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm getting nervous. What exactly is happening here? As is I'm reading about locusts and I'm seeing bees and gnats. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Are you sending me a message here, Lord? What's going on? And, you know, immediately our mind runs to these kinds of thoughts. You've heard it. I've heard it. The hurricanes, the earthquakes, not just the most recent ones, but all of them that seem to happen. There are always people who want to say, that's God's judgment. That's God judging. That's God doing this. That's God doing that. What I find interesting, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. What I find interesting is that it's always the judgment of what other people are doing. Just ponder that for a few minutes. Again, we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But we have this mindset that God's purpose is judgment. And there is certainly judgment in the scriptures, not the least of which is the minor prophets and including Joel. What we find here is that God is actually, well, God is speaking not to the world at large. He's speaking in Joel to his own people. So we want to talk about judgment based on the book of Joel. It would be maybe tornadoes jumping from church to church. Because this is a word to us. This is a word to God's people. This is a word to us about our sin. And our struggle with sin. And our struggle to obey God. And to walk with him. And to receive his blessings. And then ignore them. And reject them. And rebel against him. This is a word to you and to me. And quite frankly. It's a little bit frightening when I think about it. God's. God comes and says, I'm going to destroy this land. The locusts are going to come. I'm going to destroy the land that I've given you. Which is significant because the land has been the great promise, the great gift of God to his people from the beginning. Back to Abraham, God says to him, I'm going to make you a great nation and your children will inhabit this land. As the people are in Egypt, he says to them... When you come out of the land of slavery, I'm going to bring you into this great land of milk and honey, which is symbolic of all of the great thing, greatest things you could ever imagine about land. That's what this is going to be. And when they get there, they see it. The, the clumps of grapes are so big that they have to carry them on poles. God is going to bless them immensely with this land. And I think God's purpose, I wonder if God's purpose for that isn't... It's hard to tell when you're when you're a nation looking at Israel, it's hard from the outside to see people following God. And so if the people looking on the outside see how God blesses Israel and the land is productive and they're able to produce and sustain and have abundance, it may cause them to say, maybe I'd like to talk to you more about your God because my God doesn't do that. It's a witness. And now God comes and says, look, this land I've given you, you have abused it. You've shed innocent blood on it. You have taken advantage of it. You've manipulated it. In fact, you have worshipped this land. And isn't that often one of our greatest sins, that we worship the gifts that God gives us? We worship the blessings that God pours out upon us. We, We are so privileged to to have relationships. We're so privileged to have the church. We're so privileged to have education. We're so privileged to have money to to survive and even more. And what ends up happening, we worship the gifts. And so God says to Israel, I'm going to do something about that. Here is where your sin is leading you. Your sin is leading you not to more abundance. It's leading you to destruction because it's leading you away from me. And so God says, what you need is to return, to repent. We see this once again. The prophets keep coming back to that. God has, God has, has declared on that day, on the, on the day of the Lord, it's going to be ju- judgment. But you can Repent. You can return. You can turn yourself around. Tozer said that we, God takes nine steps, but we have to take the tenth. God pours out his grace on us and does everything possible for us to see what he wants from us. But eventually, we have to want it. We have to take the step. We have to turn around. We have to acknowledge that we need him. And that's what he's trying to help Israel understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why he lets us feel the pain of our sin sometimes. is because it reminds us that we need him and where life goes when we choose to go our own way away from him. And so God says, Return. Acknowledge who I am. Acknowledge that, I, that you need me. Acknowledge that I am good and loving and merciful. He says here, I am compassionate. I pour out grace upon you. It's the same word, same thing that he tells, Moses tells the people. This is, God says, this is who I am. I am patient and compassionate. And I pour out blessings on people whether they deserve it or not. But your sin leads you away from me. So return. Rend your hearts, not your garments, he says. It was common practice when you were in mourning, when you were lamenting, that you, when, you were, when, you, when you realized that the depths of your sin, people would tear their clothes and they would wear sackcloth and ashes. And he said, that's fine, but what I really want is you to change your heart. What I really want from you is a different heart perspective. Do you want me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want what what I'm offering you? Come before me in humility and acknowledge that you need me. And the most fascinating thing is that when that happens, God says, now I can pour out blessings upon you. Repentance, turning, confessing, acknowledging that we need God is like the gate that opens to allow God's blessings to flow into our lives. We think sometimes that God doesn't want to bless us, but nothing could be further from the truth. The problem is not God. The problem is us. We have said to him and through our actions, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, those blessings are fine, but I'd really rather go my own way. And so we close the gate. But when we take that 10th step, when we return, it's like opening the gate and God's blessings pour out upon us. I love this book of this prophecy of Joel. Because while he spends the first half of the book talking about judgment on his people, he spends the whole second half of the book talking about how he's going to bless them. And that's the heart of God. It's really a continuation of what Hosea says. That God pursues us. God desires us, us to know his love and to be absorbed in his love and to live in his love. And he's saying now, look, let me help you experience that now that you want it. And he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. I love the way that's worded. He's not, it's, not a, it's not a trickle. He's pouring it out. The floodgates are open. My spirit is going to overwhelm you. He says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all people, the people you would expect and the people you wouldn't expect, the people that you look up to, the people you might look down on. I'm going to pour out my spirit on on men who are the head of the society and have all the rights and on women who you tend to look down on and have few rights. And on young men and old men and everybody in between, I am pouring out my spirit upon you, all people. And I think it, it, it's a glimpse of what the kingdom was always intended to be and what the kingdom will eventually be classless. We, we always want to create a class structure. These people are more important than these people. These people have more value than these people. But Joel says to us that when the spirit of God is poured out on his people, there is equality. Everyone has value and worth. Everyone has significance. Everyone contributes. Everyone receives the same spirit in the same way. And it sort of of goes against the grain sometimes of our thinking that says, well, there are some people I could never learn anything from. There are some people that have no right to teach me. There're some people who are a lower class than I am or that I feel lower class than they are. In the kingdom of God when the spirit is poured out there is equality and that has a tendency to shake up our formulas and the boxes that we have we put God in. When the holy spirit is poured out the boxes are obliterated. All the ways in which we want to confine God and control God disappear. And quite frankly, that makes us uncomfortable. I kind of like life when I've got it under control. I don't know about you. I like to be able to say, okay, I've figured this out. I've got it under control. And, and I know what's going to happen next. I have my plans. I got everything in place. And, and this is where we are go. And I usually want to say, okay, i figured it out, God. Now you bless the things that I've designed. But Joel is telling us that's not the way the spirit works. The Spirit shatters those boxes we create. And it makes us feel uncomfortable because we're not in control, God is. And when God's in control, you never know what He's going to do. You never know where He's going to take you, where He's going to lead you. You never know what relationships He's going to help you develop. You never know where He's going to call you and what He's going to call you to do and be. But the one thing we know is that when the Spirit is poured out upon us, it is always good. It may be a hard place. It may be a challenging place. It may be a place we would never have dreamed we would end up. But the one thing we can count on is that God is only taking us places that are good. That are in our best interest and in the best interest of the kingdom. And he is with us. And and he's telling us it is far better to live your life feeling out of control because you're controlled by God. Than to live your life trying to control it yourself. And the meager, tiny ways we think about our lives. I think one of the most challenging things that the Holy Spirit does to us and asks of us is how we treat our enemies. What do we do about the people who are against us, the people who are against the faith? The people who who oppose us, and particularly in our culture in which we live. When you get to chapter 3, part of the blessing of God is to bring judgment and justice on Israel's enemies. That may disturb us a little bit because we think God shouldn't be doing that. But what he's really saying is God is addressing evil. And I want a God who addresses evil. Unless, of course, it's my evil. But the truth of the matter is God addresses evil. God addresses injustice. God is a God of justice. And he brings, he holds people to account. And we look at that and we think, okay, that's our role too. So if God can judge people, we can judge people. That's not how it works. God alone understands what is right. Not us. Our calling is not to judge people. Our calling is to work for justice. Our calling is to be a presence of hope in a world of despair. But primarily, our presence is to be people who exhibit the love of Christ to our friends and our enemies. Everything God does, including this judgment he's talking about, comes from his heart of love. Because that's who he is. And what we do comes from a heart not of vengeance, but of love. We love our enemies even those who persecute us, even those who hate us, even those who do everything they can to oppose the faith, our calling is to love them. It's hard. I know I, I am walking in the Spirit when instead of wanting what's worst for people, I want what's best for people. I know I'm walking in the Spirit when, when it, it burdens me. To think of God bringing judgment upon even my enemies. In Ezekiel 32, God says to the prophet, I'm going to have to bring justice upon the nations who have been so heinous in their behavior toward my people and others. But Ezekiel weep because that's necessary. In chapter 18, God says, do you think I like doing this? No. I don't want to punish people. I want people to know me and have life. But sometimes they can't see it. Sometimes they don't want it. And that's why Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, because when you do this, you're acting like true children of your heavenly father. One of the ways that we know the spirit is controlling us Is our willingness, our desire, our want to about our enemies. When you get to the end of this book, ultimately, Joel says, he's talking about the day of the Lord as a place of judgment, of fear, of anxiety. Now you get to the end and he says, when the day of the Lord comes, it will be a time of joy. It will be a time of reconciliation and restoration of God and his people. It makes me it makes me think of Revelation 21. When John says I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the spirit of God lived there. God made his home there. This was a place of healing and a place of joy and peace and life. This is the ultimate fulfillment of God for his people. That He will dwell with them and we will be His people. We will know that we are His people and we will experience what He created us to experience from the very beginning. The blessing of His life poured out upon us. That is God's that is God's dream for us. That's, what, that's God's created purpose for us. And all of us get lost along the way. All of us become self-centered. All of us turn away. All of us rebel. All of us struggle. And that's why the pivot point of this whole prophecy is chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, return to me. Return to me. Trust me. Acknowledge that you need me. And let me do something in your life you could have never dreamed possible. Ultimately, all of its fulfillment. But today, too. Now. This is our God. Who takes our sin. Who takes our struggles. Who takes all the ways in which we rebel against him. And through his grace, restores us to life. It's what he wants for you. It's what he wants for me. Do we want it from him? Holy Father, thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We are so undeserving of all that you desire for us to experience. Give us eyes to see who you are. And to acknowledge how much we need you. We pray this through Christ. Amen.
2: I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
0: Please stand with us. There's nothing
1: promise. I just want to remind those of you who are able to stay for the luncheon, uh, go on down to the community room if you want now. There's a game set up down there. The meal will be served at noon. But uh, we look forward to seeing you there. If you came today not prepared to stay, come on down anyway. I'm sure there'll be plenty of food and we'd love to have you. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you.